So good morning listeners and welcome to Come and See Inspirations being produced here in our Come and See studio here in Ada. And it's the 13th of October, it's the 28th Sunday in Ordinary Time. My name is John Keeley and helping to present the programme this morning is my good friend Shane Elbridge. Good morning to you Shane. Good morning John, how are you keeping? We're good, we're good now this morning. Um, thank you again listeners, especially those who are listening to us who are housebound, those who are lonely and struggling in some way today. And especially those listeners who are supporting us in prayer each week. And of course, we do have many listeners who are also listen to us on our uh, podcast, which is available at Common Sea Inspirations at buzzsprout.com. Also on via as our blog, sacredspace102.blogspot.com. But also on Spotify. There might be quite a few people who listen to music and so on and so forth on Spotify. So we're also on Spotify by, by searching for Common Sea Inspirations. As usual, our programme today, we'll have some saints for the week, which Shane will share with us shortly. And in part two of the programme, we're joined this morning by our good friend, Father Eamon Conway, Professor of uh, Religious Studies in Mary Eye in, here in Limerick. And Father Eamon's going to share a reflection with us on, at this stage, it'll be St. John Henry Newman. So, of course, the... Um, John Henry Newman is being canonised as saint, I believe, with three or four other people this morning in Rome as we speak. And in part three of the Gospel, as usual, we will read and reflect on the Word of God. If you want to contact us at all, please do so. 87 6088 That's 87 6088 Or by email, and that's on sacredspace102 at now, you, you can contact us off with a comment or maybe a suggestion in regard to music. I mean, somebody passed me on a nice piece of music that I'll be playing within the next few weeks, a, a suggestion. It might be someone who you might think um, would be would inspire us in terms of our faith. Maybe somebody who, who has lived their faith out in their own locality, in their own way. That would be enable the rest of us to, to, to be encouraged to live out our own. If you want to do that again, just remind you of the of the contact numbers again. It's 87 or email sacredspace102 at gmail.com. Now, with this part of the programme, as usual, Shane is going to travel the world, travel the universe, and bring us some saints for the week who are going to accompany us this week. Shane, where are we going to Thanks, go to John. this week? Yeah, well, it's not too it's not too mad and wonderful this week, I have to say. Um, so we're looking at, um, as you said, <clears throat> it's the 28th week in Ordinary Time. So for those of us praying the Psalter, it's on week four. And um, it's hard to believe actually how quick the time is going. Mm. So looking at the saints this week. So 14th of October is the feast day of one of the early popes. It's St. Callistus. Now, Callistus is an interesting guy. He was a slave and imprisoned for criminal offences. Uh, he, be- was, he was freed and he became a deacon. And actually, he actually ended up eventually being elected pope, so bishop of Rome. Uh, he became pope in 217 uh, AD. And he died at the hands of a mob five years later. He's regarded as uh, a martyr. Now, the interesting thing about St. Callistus, people might say, I know that name. And if anyone has been to Rome and has visited the catacombs, more likely than not, you have visited the catacombs of St. Callistus because they are the main catacombs where the, the early popes were buried. 
and it is often the site that many um, many uh, people will visit when they are when they visit Rome, and it's also uh, the, the the site of where Saint uh, Saint 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 Cecilia or Saint Agnes. Uh, is buried as well. So just, it, it could be a name that could be familiar to many people. So then on Tuesday, we have one of the biggies, as I call it. We have St. Teresa of Avila. So the great reformer of the Carmelite order, who re-established the order as the discalced, or that is the shoeless ones. St. Teresa of Avila, obviously associated with Avila in Spain, born in 1512, deeply contemplative, highly active, practical, and she wrote many, much on prayer and the spiritual life. One of her great books is The Interior Castle. Um, she's the patron saint of lace makers and headache sufferers because she used to suffer from migraine a lot. And I often quote uh, St. Teresa of Avila on this program a lot because there's two great things that are associated with her, two great quotes. One is the quote, um, she used to kind of, she used to struggle during the reform of the congregation that she had. And she used to say to God, if this is how you treat your friends, uh, if um, uh, you don't need any enemies. And then the other one was uh, the, that famous quote, that Christ has no hands but yours now and no, no feet but yours, no eyes but yours in the world. So that's St. That's Teresa of Avila on the 15th of um the 15th of October. And John, she is actually a doctor of the church. And if memory serves, she was one of the first women, women doctor of the churches, of the church even. Then on Wednesday, we have, there's three saints given in the Ordo. There's St. Hedwig. Now, not Hedwig the Owl. That's, uh, that's, 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 that's Harry Potter. No, St. Hedwig was the wife of the Duke of Silesia, which is in somewhere in Germany. There's St. Margaret Mary Alacroque. I think is how you pronounce her name. We would, would have mentioned her previously on the program, John, of course, because she promoted the devotion to the Sacred Heart. And she died in 1690. She was a visionary, an ascetic. And um, then on the Irish calendar, we have the feast day of St. Gaul. Now, <clears throat> he's associated with France, if memory serves. Um, he's a monk of Bangor. He went with Columbanus to the Europe, to the continent. And he... Um, St. Gaul went with him to, to, the, to the city on Lake Constance, which, as far as I'm aware, is in Switzerland. And it became the famous monastery of St. Gallen. And he died around 1630. Now, the interesting thing about the monastery of St. Gallen is it is one of the repositories of ancient manuscripts showing the first, or the most, it's not, not the first, sorry, but the most ancient evidence of Irish writing that we have, as in writing in Irish, writing Osgwelga, uh, are at the monastery of, of St. Gaul in, in, in Switzerland. Then on Thursday, <clears throat> we celebrate one of the ancient saints of the church. Um, one of the most, uh, he died in 107 AD, and that is St. Ignatius of Antioch. Um, Ignatius is a bishop, he's a martyr. He died a martyr in Rome. He was, he was transported there from uh, Antioch. He wrote, he wrote a number of famous letters to the church that he met on his journey to Rome for his execution. And he urged, he's, he's a great saint associated with Christian, urging Christian unity in and through the Eucharist and around the bishop. So he's one of the great early saints of the church, St. Ignatius of Antioch, whose feast day we celebrate on the 17th. Then on the 18th, we have the feast day of the evangelist St. Luke. So he of the Gospel of St. Luke and the uh, Acts of the Apostles. Now, tradition has it that Luke was actually a doctor, a physician, and he was actually a Gentile Christian as opposed to a Jewish Christian. Um, 
he's supposed to have accompanied Paul on his second missionary journey and followed Paul um, with, during his imprisonment in Rome. And he, in art, actually, uh, he's generally associated with the ox. And I don't know why. I was looking it up during the week, but I couldn't actually find an explanation for that. Now, interesting thing is St. Luke is the patron saint of butchers, bookbinders, doctors, surgeons, artists, and glass workers. And, of course, obviously, very much this year, um, as we're in, the, as well, we're coming to the year of the liturgical year, where we have been using the Gospel of Luke. And then finally, John, on Saturday, which is the 19th of October, we have the feast day of St. Jean, Jean de Brebeuf, I think is how you pronounce the man's name, and Isaac Yog. And they're six Jesuit companions. So I'm never quite sure if these guys are American saints or Canadian saints. Basically, they were around that part of the world between Canada and America. And they they were Jesuits martyred by the Huron and Iroquois Indians around 1647 and 1648. So Jesuit saints to close out the week. So obviously, of course, uh, just to remind people as well that obviously the Synod is ongoing in Rome at the moment. So to keep the Synod participants in people's prayers Mm -hmm. and that they would be listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Um, The first couple of days of interventions have been rather... Uh, media generating headlines but we shall see what comes out from it all uh, and how it goes and of course as always we're entering into October so next Sunday that's this day week is actually Mission Sunday so we're hoping to next week's program that we the second part of the program we will have reflection on Mission and Mission Sunday so that's the plan anyway. Shane, thanks a lot for that comprehensive con- comprehensive um, review of the science. Thank you. Just a, just a little comment, uh, just whilst you were reading those. How did people come up with the patrons of, like, I mean, Luke now, he's busy, butchers, bookbinders, doctors, surgeons, artists, glass workers. How did they yeah, be- I was afraid you were going to ask me that one. Um, <laughs> it's not always clear. It's not always clear how saints become associated with particular patronages. So, for example, if you take St. Barbara, she was an early virgin saint of the church, and she's the patron saint of miners and artillery um, people, people that fire guns. Um, And the only thing that associated with her is that she was supposedly thrown from a tower. And I have no idea how you get from that to patron saint of, 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 of artillery. Now, I think there was something involved with thunder and lightning and so on and so forth. So, yeah, so the patronages can be stretched a small bit. Like if you take, for example, St. Clair, uh, St. Clair of Assisi, foundress with St. Francis of the Poor Clares, and she is one of the patron saints of television. And, for example, the reason she's the patron saint of television is because when she was sick in her room, in her cell, she is supposed to have seen the mass being said from her sickbed. So, Maria, this was this is this is the tradition that associated her her led to her being associated with uh, being the patron saint of television, for example. But yeah, I'll tell you what, John, leave that with me. I'll do a small bit of digging around, and I'll come back and give you a proper answer. Yes, I'm right. That was comprehensive enough. Thank you. Okay, so at this part of the program, before we go for our first bit of music with the spiritual communion prayer. They will pray each each week on the programme, especially for those people who used to receive Jesus um, at Mass every week, in fact, sometimes every day, but now cannot because they're confined to their homes. And this is the spirit of communion prayer for those. 
My Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot now receive you sacramentally, come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as already there. I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. So now we go for our first bit of music. And this one, it's by Tom Booth, and it's, it's entitled the Fragrance Prayer. So let's say this. Spread your fragrance everywhere that I go Dear Jesus Flood my soul with your spirit and your love Penetrate and possess my being So utterly that all my life may Only be a radiance of you Dear Jesus Help me to spread your fragrance Everywhere that I go Welcome back again to Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley. Shane Ambrose, of course, is still with us on the end of the Skype line. And joining us this morning, a very special guest who, who's um, been on the programme a few times, uh, Father Eamon Conway. Good morning to Father Eamon. Good morning, everybody. Thanks, Father Eamon, for joining us. Father Eamon's going to uh, join us this morning specifically to help us to reflect on John Henry Newman, who has been ordained, uh, uh, sorry, who's been canonised this morning. Uh, in Rome as we speak. 
So, Father Eamon, uh, John Henry Newman, where would you like to start? I'd like to start, I suppose, a little bit back just in case our, you know, just for our listeners, it might be helpful just to think for a moment about why, why saints at all, why canonize saints. Mm. And it's interesting that Pope Francis, although he's only, uh, you know, a, a pontiff uh, for going on six years, he has actually canonized almost twice as many saints as Pope John Paul II did in his 27-year pontificate. Uh, Pope Francis has actually canonized 838 saints, John Paul II, 482, and then in the interim years, uh, Pope Benedict canonized 45 saints. So let's uh, take it that Pope Francis is big into saints. Hmm. And in uh, a document he brought out last year called Gaudete Exultate, um, the Universal Call to Holiness, and I would certainly encourage our listeners They'll find it on the internet. Hopefully they'll find it in a bookshop. They'll find it on the back of the church. Uh, It's a lovely little call to all of us to realise and recognise our own call to holiness. And uh, in that he talks about, in a sense, the ordinariness of holiness. Uh, You know, that holiness is encountered and experienced in our daily uh, struggles, in our daily attempts uh, to be faithful, not just only to God, but also to God in our brother and sister. Just a brief quote, he says, I like to contemplate the holiness present in the patience of God's people, in parents who raise their children with immense love, in men and women who work hard to support their families, in the sick, in elderly religious who never lose their smile, in their daily perseverance, I see the holiness of the church. Uh, Very often it is the holiness found in our next door neighbours, those who, like living in our midst, reflect God's presence. And as we contemplate somebody like John Henry Newman, who is distant from us culturally because he you know, was an Englishman, uh, distant from us in time because he lived between 1801 and 1899, distant from us even in the style of his writing at times, even his English, which is beautiful prose, but can be difficult enough to stick with and to follow. Uh, we might feel at some level distant from him, but what I like to, to ponder about Newman and what makes me feel very close to him is his own story of faith and his own story of struggle and how he tried to, uh, I suppose, recognise and how he came to recognise God in the ordinariness of his of his everyday life. I mean, for example, uh, I, I, we can pick up the story, I suppose, when you was a teenager, when he was 15 years of age, away at boarding school, um, spending quite a bit of time during the summer there because his parents had had a financial collapse. Uh, and it was a difficult time for him to be at home, so he was kept there over the summer. You can imagine, in a sense, no teenager likes to be singled out and treated differently. Uh, but he was left there. And he was a very bright and, you might even say, uh, precocious teenager. And he was reading a lot. And he was reading, uh, as we now know, atheistic philosophy. He was he was testing, uh, in a sense, whatever uh, traditional upbringing he had, as teenagers tend to do. But he found these atheistic philosophers wanting. They they just they, they raised all the right questions, but they didn't seem to be providing uh, what he saw as credible answers. But at least he was prepared to test his faith. And many many years later, and I think this is a very important line for us in in Ireland in our in the context of our, our faith and faith journeys today. Many years later, he wrote. He said, "An unquestioned faith among those who are capable of a questioning faith." is to say the least dangerous and inconsistent. And so, you know, Newman tested his faith. He he put the tough questions to his own faith. And he found many answers 
within his tradition lacking, but he also found the answers of atheistic philosophers lacking. And then he had a good mentor, um, a, an Anglican priest who worked uh, at the uh, college where he was, pointed him in the direction of how to read the scriptures. And he gradually went through what can really happen, and we need to believe this can happen for ourselves. He went through a deep personal conversion, one that stuck with him for the rest of his life. And there were various moments, uh, and usually moments of vulnerability, moments of weakness, or moments of faith. So in that time of being away from home and the isolation and the loneliness and the worry and anxiety about his family, he also had ill health. And he went through many different times in his life, in fact, when he suffered from ill health. And these were also moments where there was the invitation to surrender and to trust in God's faith. So that's where I would begin to talk about uh, John Henry Newman, rather than, and we can go on to it, but rather than go on to talk about his great intellectual uh, contribution to the life of the Church. Thanks, Father Eamon. Shane, would you like to just make a comment on that? Yeah, no, it's 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 an interesting one because I, 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 I as Eamon said, it, I was looking and kind of reading around um, John Henry Newman myself, and I suppose when I said to someone that we were we were interviewing Father Eamon this week about John Henry Newman, the question I got back was, well, why should you know Irish Catholics be interested in English saint? And I said, well, first of all, he's a saint, as you know, as Eamon said for the Church, and I said there is an Irish connection after all. You know, I said he, he did help to start the Catholic University in Ireland, which then became UCD. But it's it, Eamon. I suppose there's a couple of things I suppose about the life of John Henry that are are kind of interesting, and I suppose it's his. It's his interaction with the faith and his interrogation of the faith and his journey in faith, which I suppose was the thing that most caught my eye. Because like you said, at 15, engaging and asking the questions, and then you know, he, moving on in terms of he went up to Oxford to, st- to study there and um, became part of the, 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 Oxford, um, the Oxford movement. But in, you know, it, and the whole thing that, you know, in terms of his, his interaction with the faith, he was actually quite, um, uh, the way it was described where I read it, he was kind of Calvinistic, actually, in his approach, as he, he was actually ordained for the Anglican Church. That, that's right. He was, and he ministered, uh, he ministered uh, very, very fervently and very enthusiastically uh, in the Anglican Church. And, uh, you know, the Anglicans can also claim him and to some extent, I suppose, celebrate uh, his uh, accomplishments and celebrate his achievements as well. But at some point, the, the I suppose, the integrity, uh, and I mean that in the technical sense of the wholeness of the Roman Catholic uh, faith, just became utterly compelling for him mm. in terms of, uh, of, of, its, of its rationality. And, and its truth. And I mean, this, I mean, again, if you want to, if you want to learn something from Newman, you want one takeaway from Newman. It was this utter, unabashed uh, commitment to truth, and uh, you know he he uh, felt obliged in conscience, which is a very very important word for for Newman. He felt obliged in conscience to follow his to follow the truth and be faithful to the truth. So it, it was a conversion at that level. Uh, it, that is a takeaway from. So w- when you ask the question, it's a very good question. You know, why why should we be interested in a in, a, in an English saint? Um, first of all, exactly. Well, it's all about us. Actually, it's not mm. about the saints for Pope Francis. Pope Francis holds these people before us uh, simply to to be uh, aids to us on our own path to holiness. And how I find, uh, just to be very personal about it for a moment, I find Newman um, 
Uh, I've had a bit of a health challenge myself in the last few weeks, which thankfully has, has, has gone well. But I was trying to reflect on Newman in that context and pray with him some of his beautiful, beautiful prayers. Uh, you know, he's a, a lovely prayer about how every aspect of our lives uh, can be turned to God's service, including our vulnerability and our weakness. So I, I take great uh, uh, enrichment from that. But I also take great enrichment from what you've just been talking about now, mm. which was his his uh, his ruthless, in a sense, pursuit of truth. And it got him into trouble. I mean, again, another takeaway for me was his extraordinary courage in what we would now today is called the public square. Mm. He, he, it took a lot out of him, but he did not he did not shirk from from speaking truth in very challenging ways that actually, in one instance, led to a, a major libel case against him, which he lost, actually, um, on a technicality, which can happen. Uh, but, you know, he, he followed the dictates of his conscience. in that, in that and, and that's also what led him to convert from Anglicanism to the Roman Catholic uh, mm. faith. One of the things that I was curious about was, he his was very much, I suppose... Um, how I put this, it was very much an intellectual discovery for him in terms of his faith and one sense. And like, you, I love that expression you said there, the ruthless pursuit of truth. And I think for me, <clears throat> that's actually something which I hadn't thought about before, because often in modern culture and in modern conversation, you have this false dichotomy that's put out there between faith and reason. In that, you know, to be a person of faith, you know, it somehow implies that you're less logical or you're less rational because you're a person of faith. And I think maybe that's something that maybe John Henry Newman can offer in terms of uh, the modern conversation that we're trying that you're trying to have, where you're trying to engage and create a space in the public square for that kind of a conversation. So one of the challenges we face in, in contemporary culture is a, a narrowed understanding of what, what actually we mean by reason. I mean, we may also have a defective understanding of what we mean by faith, which is, which is about trusting. Fundamentally, it's about letting go into the mystery of God. But when it comes to reason, many people are working out of a, a, very, a very narrow, shrunken version of reason. So for them, something is only reasonable if we can touch it or taste it or smell it. In other words, it's something perceptible to the, saints, to the senses. If it's something that seems terribly logical, um, and that's an aspect of of, of truth, of course, uh, uh, you know, uh, logic, uh, uh, faith can never con- and should not con- attempt to contradict logic. But we know that there are much, much deeper truths uh, than that. I mean, how do you know, with any degree of certainty, for example, what is rational about love? I mean, certainly it's reasonable to love, but there's more to love than reason. And uh, Pascal, of course, famously said. The heart has reason, but reason does not understand. So we can have a very na- narrow understanding of, of reason. And what I what I like about Newman is he challenges that, and that's that's a legacy. And if people are wondering what's their takeaway from Newman, we, we he he was facing that culture at the beginnings, in the sense of the movement where that reason was being truncated and narrowed. He mm-hmm. was challenging that. And so, for example, he said, we do not see the truth at once and make towards it, but we fall upon and try error and find it is not the truth. We grope about by touch, not by sight. And so by a miserable experience, exhaust the possible modes of acting till naught is left but truth remaining. Such is the process by which we succeed. A beautiful line, we walk to heaven backwards. We drive our arrows at a mark and think him most skillful whose shortcomings 
are the least. So there's nothing irrational, there's nothing unreasonable about groping after the truth. That's 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 the nature of life, actually. Mm, and mm. this so, truth is not to be identified with certainties. Mm. Uh, you can be certain about something, be certainly wrong. Yeah, you know, true, they're true. very different things. So what what I like about Newman too is, and just to, for me, the two aspects hold together. I talked a lot earlier, and I, I do think it's hugely important. It was his own sense of fragility and vulnerability, both because of his family circumstances. For example, his brother became an atheist and never spoke to him. His sister died suddenly, and he grieved for the rest of his life that he never got to say a proper goodbye to her. Um, he lost a lot of his friends uh, when he converted to Catholicism, who didn't really want anything to do with him anymore. He had ill health. I mean, talk about work-life balance something he never understood, really. <laughs> uh, you know, he used to work 17, 18 hours a day, often standing uh, at his desk, uh, and then would crash, uh, you know, would burn out for a while. Um, and yes, somehow God could be at work in this in this man. And I actually think that the two hold together, that it's in our vulnerability that mm. we're open to perceive what is true in a way that sometimes in our arrogance that we are not. Mm. And Pope Francis, this is why Pope Francis, I think, finds human attractive. Because Pope Francis has always uh, invited us to be in touch with those who are on the margins, to those for, who don't have the luxury of the arrogance of a lot of our discourse mm. uh, about so-called reason, mm. uh, but actually have to live uh, faced with the harsh realities that open them up mm. to what is true and what is just and what mm. is pure in life. There are so many areas that you could talk about with Newman. So, for example, his his discovery of, for example, the Church Fathers and Mothers and that contribution to his faith journey. There's also you know, his um, his contribution to, for example, the founding of the University College Dublin or the Catholic University of Ireland and his writings on the whole role and area of education and what is education. But I suppose one other area, which is sometimes where Newman if you like, is brought into, I won't say disrepute, so to speak, but sometimes his views and writings on conscience and freedom of conscience can sometimes um, be, 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 be kind of confused. And I suppose the context of this was the First Vatican Council where papal infallibility was declared. And, of course, there was the whole thing in, in English conversation and English discourse in, in where how could you be loyal to the Pope and, uh, you know, an English, a, a true to the crown or true Englishman. And that whole conversation, and there's a famous letter, I understand, uh, Father Eamon, uh, to the Duke of Norfolk, which deals with this whole area. Yes, I mean, the, 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 uh, again, as I said earlier, that uh, Newman was at times to his to his cost, to his personal cost, uh, ruthless when it came to defending truth and and defending the uh, the role of conscience, which was um, completely exonerated in Vatican II, where we are told, and indeed Pope Francis and Amoris Laetitia, the joy of love, uh, very much defends this understanding of conscience. To so his conscience is that secret sanctuary. Uh, within each one of us, where we are alone with God, and where each one of us is uh, judged by nobody and no one person, not even the Pope, not even, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, our understanding of, 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 of anything else other than our, our, uh, by God. And we're before God. So, in a sense, uh, humans, there was no, for Newman, there was really no, uh, he was simply, I suppose, articulating that it's a false contradiction, uh, because of course the Pope, of course, also had to be a defender of conscience and so on. But where people were somehow misunderstanding 
um, the intention behind patent infallibility, and it was open to misunderstanding, and many, many important uh, people uh, in the church at the time questioned not necessarily the content of that uh, decree on infallibility, but the wisdom of it. Uh, so, for example, I, I'm a priest of the Tomb Diocese, and Archbishop Michael, who was a, uh, the Archbishop of Tomb at the time, famously said uh, that he saw absolutely no need for the doctrine of papal infallibility, because in his diocese, every parish priest already considers himself infallible. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> so it wasn't so much the... But, but what Newman was doing was re, re-centering that what is at the heart of Catholic uh, faith is, uh, is, is, is truth and conscience, of which the Pope is also a servant, fundamentally mm. a servant. Uh, can I just bring you back, because it sure. mentioned it there, and I think it's very important to the issue of Catholic education. I mean, I, I cite Newman all the time, uh, in and his, his ideas were quite profound and still are profound. Unfortunately, they've also been hijacked uh, by many people claiming the mantle of Newman. Uh, um, I mean, what Newman was against uh, was the what we call the instrumentalization of education, putting education at the service of anything other than the whole uh, total development of the human person. And unfortunately, I mean, that's our big, in my view, our biggest challenge in the Irish educational system at the moment. I mean, you know, where where even we now are, are doing things like computer coding or whatever else in primary school, we're teaching kids uh, about how to be entrepreneurs. You know, rather than open up for the, the joy of education. Uh, you know, I my my. And a few years ago died in her uh, 90th year. And she was able, uh, with a little bit of support from, uh, I found the, the I forget the name of the textbook, uh, that had those lovely, beautiful poems. But those beautiful poems she would have learned as a child uh, stood to her. Uh, poems understood uh, the reality of death and spoke about the reality of death, you mm. know, um, which many of our listeners may well have learned as well. They're all gone. Or many of them are gone. And we have a very functional education system, which is all about outputs. I mean, recently, Archbishop Ron Williams, uh, the Anglican Archbishop, um, now retired of, of Canterbury, he said that in the UK, we have to justify giving kids, uh, hungry kids, poor kids, hungry kids, school dinners, uh, on the basis of, of research that shows that improves their performance in the classroom. And actually, only a few weeks ago, that was actually proposed here uh, by a government minister. And there was research produced and was discussed in the media here. Uh, if, any, if you look it up, you'll find it. Uh, you know, so this is exactly what Newman was against. He was defending what he called a liberal education, an education which if it was put at the service of anything other than the holistic development of the child, of the young man, of the young woman, mm. uh, was, was a betrayal of what education was really about. Now, he really tried to bring that to bear on the establishment of a Catholic university in Ireland, and it floundered, and it fell, it fell apart. Largely, unfortunately, and this has been very well documented, um, we're talking about 150 years ago, but it's well documented, because the Irish bishops couldn't work together. Oh, there's a surprise. Yeah, well, this is it. And, I, you know, I'm afraid, uh, I'm wondering what the... Reg- if, we, if, 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 if in the era before emails and freedom of information and GDPR, 150 years ago, we had excellent records of, of the failures and the names attached to the failures of who didn't do what, when, to mm. get a Catholic university off the ground. What, you know, we have very good records now because mm. we are also in danger now of losing, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a really uh, Catholic presence in our education education. system here in Ireland. Father Eamon, I'm afraid I have to bring it and draw this conversation to a close. So as we said today in Rome, uh, Pope Pope Francis is canonizing John Henry Newman 
uh, formerly UCD, connect, or sorry, connected with the Catholic University of Ireland, English saint. Uh, he would be the fifth Londoner to be canonised. And from an Irish perspective, uh, we are being represented actually in Rome this morning by Bishop Brendan Leahy and a number of pilgrims from the Limerick Diocese who will be attending the canonisation ceremony with a number of the other Irish bishops. And they'll be in very good company because I understand that uh, Prince Charles is leading a delegation of, of about 15 people uh, from the United Kingdom to mark the occasion uh, today in Rome. So, Father Eamon Conway, it's a pleasure as always to have you on the programme. Thank you very much for this morning for joining us and helping us to ex explore the life and times and uh, the contribution of uh, what who is now Saint John Henry Newman. Thank you very much indeed. Now, for, Father Conway, uh, you are going to join us. Uh, stay with us for the Gospel Reflection, please. Would you be yeah, able I can to do that? Yeah. Thank you okay. very much indeed. Okay, so just before we go for our first, uh, our second piece of music, sorry, we'll now take our second piece of music. And of course, this, we can only really play one piece of music Lead Kindly Light by the Arundel Cathedral Choir, written by John Henry Newman. So please join us again in part three, where we read and reflect on the Word of God.
So welcome back again to the third part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined on Skype by uh, by um, Shane Ambrose. And thanks again to for Father Eamon Conway for sharing that reflection for us on John Henry Newman, who's been canonised, of course, in Rome today. Now, this part of the programme is where we read and reflect on the Word of God, uh, the Sunday Gospel. And before that, Shane's going to pray this prayer before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Thanks, Shane. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word reverently, attentively, and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us, so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed nor our minds wander, but may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this, Father, in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that, Shane. So now the Gospel for today, the 28th Sunday in Ordinary Time, is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verse 11 to 19. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered one of the villages, ten lepers came to meet him. They stood some way off and called to him, Jesus, Master, take pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go and show yourself to the priests. Now as they were going away, they were cleansed. Finding himself cured, one of them turned back, praising God at the top of his voice, and threw himself at the feet of Jesus and thanked him. The man was a, This man was a Samaritan. This made Jesus say, Were not all ten made clean? The other nine, where are they? It seems that no one has come back to give praise to God, except this foreigner. And he said to the man, Stand up and go on your way. Your faith has saved you. Father Eamon, have you got a few words you might share with us, please, today on reflection on the gospel? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a beautiful gospel text, of course, and it's it's also echoed in the uh, with a similar healing story from the Old Testament. So at mass on Sunday uh, this morning, uh, people will have also heard uh, the healing of of uh, Naaman. Um, but what I suppose strikes me, uh, still in a sense from our earlier conversation. Um, staying with Newman a little bit and uh, my own story as I said earlier I was struggling with health issues there a little bit over the summer um, just finding it in our hearts to thank God in the midst of extraordinary circumstances difficult and challenging circumstances in which our faith is being tested in a sense to be able to say thank you as Newman was uh, and I mentioned earlier the beautiful prayer about um, you know, God having always realizing that God has some definite intention for my life, uh, and I might not see that at the time. I might not always understand it, but to be able to find the word "thank you" to bring that word to our lips in those difficult, challenging circumstances is indeed an act of faith, um, and it's an act of trust, and it's an act of acceptance of our lives as as we find them, as we're living them, not as we may wish them to be. Um, and in a sense, I think there's something beautiful about that. There's another dimension to this gospel text as well, which would, of course, struck Jesus' listeners uh, with uh, both surprise and shock and maybe even a little bit of horror uh, as he tells this parable 
10 people being healed, one coming back, and the one who comes back is a Samaritan. Uh, I don't want to name any group, ethnic group, but think of some group of people, the least likely you'd expect to 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 say thank you. The people that you might even feel a bit repelled by, uh, maybe somebody that you just wouldn't want to be associated with. The Samaritans and the Jews did not get on, to put it very mildly. And so not only has Jesus healed um, a Samaritan, uh, he has healed one of these people, but that one is held up as an example over against presumably Jews who should have come back and uh, and said thank you. And so there's another element there, there's another shock there. And then it's interesting that Jesus says, your faith has saved you to him. That in a sense, it's, it's the coming back and giving praise to God that in some way is the actual vehicle of that deeper salvation, which is beyond the body. The body will die. The body will die eventually. If, if you don't die of leprosy, you'll die of something else. But what is actually saved, what is salvific, is that act of praise, that act of, of saying thanks. So that's what comes to my mind as I reflect on that text uh, today, the ability to say thanks in the midst of very difficult circumstances in our lives is salvific for us at a level beyond Mm. Uh, physical healing, you know. Shane? Yeah, um, I I have to say, looking at the text and reading it today, it was that, it was the whole thing of gratitude. And I suppose it's something that we need to, we need to think about. In Ireland, I think we can be a small bit um, reticent about maybe um, accepting a compliment as well. You know, um, because there, there, there's two sides to, I suppose, there was, there was two things that struck me about the gospel. One of which Father Eamon has spoke about, which is gratitude and the relationship of gratitude with God. But also about our own daily interactions. And Irish people, we're not great at taking a compliment to ourselves. Um, you know, we kind of, we tend to brush it off a small bit. Whereas if you contrast that, for example, with our cousins across the Atlantic, um, you know, in, in America, for example, generally they're very positive people, and they're you know they they're very positive in 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 some sense in terms of you know their own self perception of themselves, and sometimes you know Irish we tend to be a bit more negative about things, and it's just something that struck me that you know we need to be also able to accept the good in ourselves. Um, that sometimes when we talk about faith in an Irish context. It, it's presented very negatively, and sometimes we need that reminder, like the gospel has this week, about being able to listen and express and say thank you for that which is given to us, which is either someone doing something for us or someone turning around and saying to us, well, you know what, you're not as bad a person as you think you actually are. Um, and it, it, first, I don't know, it, it was it, it, it's a slight, I suppose, it's a slight... Uh, uh, off to, off to one side reflection, I suppose, from the gospel itself. But it was just something that struck me very strongly with this week's gospel, particularly, I suppose, given um, the focus that's there at the moment in terms of uh, mental health, particularly in an Irish context, and particularly, a young, a particularly given our huge problem in this country, particularly about, among young men and the issue of suicide. And the fact that, you know, sometimes we just need to be conscious of that. Um, you know, and then the other thing that struck me about it, there was the other line <clears throat> that jumped out at me was that line, Jesus, Master, take pity on us. 
And when I just I saw that line, and all that came to my mind was just direct provision, and the types of issues like that that we have at the moment. And as Jesus Master, have pity on us. When you look around and you see people on trolleys, and when you look around and you see the issue of uh, the racism that's under, racist undercurrent that's in the country at the moment in certain areas, and the response that has been to different things. And, you know, and we kind of hold ourselves up and we say, well, we're a great people, we're full of crack and we have a thousand welcomes. But there's a there's little undercurrent there sometimes and we've got to challenge ourselves on that. And when you look at that, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Because that is the cry that is there at the moment in terms of people that are turning to us and saying, you know, we need help. We need someone to pick us up because we are down on the ground. And be that people that are homeless, be that people that are drug addicts, be the people that are alcoholics, be the people that are migrants. And it was just something else, I think, that just struck me um, from this Sunday's gospel, that we are called to respond like Jesus responded to the lepers, to are the outcasts of their society. Shane, thanks a lot for that. Um, just my own little contribution there. Yet there were 10 lepers were cured. Um, and of the 10, was one came back and praised God from where his healing came, really. But nine didn't. Our inclination maybe is to condemn the nine who did not return and give God praise for what he'd done for them. But today, maybe this week, we could also reflect on the times when we have received blessings and gifts in our lives from God and failed to thank and praise God for what we've been given. One of the ideas that I just picked up today was maybe we could write down this week nine blessings or nine gifts that we've been given and we haven't appreciated them. And then maybe make a new start by thanking God and praising God for what he's done and what he's doing for us. Thanks a lot, both of you gentlemen, for, for joining us, especially Father Eamon. Maybe one last little thought you might want to leave us in regard to Cardinal John Henry Newman, Saint John Henry Newman this morning, Father Eamon. Yeah, I don't know whether we have, we have time uh, for that beautiful prayer I've, I've referenced a couple of times. If I, I could just... Uh, Do it, um, please, yeah. If we have, yeah. It's yeah. just, I, I, for me, it's one of the... It's, it's, one of the um, it's called Some Definite Service. Um, God knows me and calls me by my name. God has created me to do him some definite service. He has committed some work to me, which he has not committed to another. I have my mission. I never may know it in this life, but I shall be told it in the next. Somehow I am necessary for his purposes. I have a part in this great work. I am a link in a chain, a bond of connection between persons. He has not created me for naught. I shall do good. I shall do his work. I shall be an angel of peace, a preacher of truth in my own place, while not intending it, if I do but keep his commandments and serve him in my calling. Therefore, I will trust him. Whatever, wherever I am, I can never be thrown away. If I am in sickness, my sickness may serve him. In perplexity, my perplexity may serve him. If I'm in sorrow, my sorrow may serve him. My sickness or perplexity or sorrow may be necessary causes of some great end which is quite beyond us. 
He does nothing in vain. He may prolong my life. He may shorten it. He knows what he is about. He may take away my friends. He may throw me among strangers. He may make me feel desolate, make my spirit sink, hide the future from me. Still, he knows what he is about. Let me be thy blind instrument. I ask not to see. I ask not to know. I ask simply to be used. Father Eamon, thank you so much for, for, for sharing that beautiful prayer with us this morning. And, and thank you also for coming on the programme. And please be assured that uh, we and the team here and also our listeners will keep you in prayer. Lovely to hear you again. So at this piece, at this time now, we might just go out with a final piece of music. And this one, it's um, I Come, I Just Come to Praise the Lord. It's by Elizabeth Humad. Father Eamon, thank you so much. We'll talk to you again sometime. God bless you all now. Until the next. Bye bye now. Show me a better way. You said it never.